Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It's Tuesday, February 14th. That's right, it's Valentine's Day. And if you're in love with Chicago politics, you're in the right place. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and every now and again, what kind of pots you can smoke if you go to the dispensaries in Chicago. And so much more. Columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. You want to check it out. Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. And uh, head on over to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky to find more from this guy. That's J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Lori Soprano Tuesday. And here's why. Because Lori Lightfoot's acting like a mafia Don. That's why. I owe that uh, great line to a good friend of the show, Steve James, great director, did City So Real. He checked in the, over the weekend to tell me about his latest movie. I'm not allowed to talk about it other than to say I'm really looking forward to it coming out. But Steve James, uh, as you may remember, uh, spent the better part of 2018 and 2009, early 2019, I should say, following all the candidates around. And he was noting uh, that there was a difference in uh, Lori Lightfoot's tenor this time around, as opposed to last time around. Uh, in her first run back in 2018, 2019, she was much more po- positive, I guess you would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She made a point of uh, assailing and assaulting Ed Burke uh, and any candidate who was in the race with any kind of connection to him. Uh, but I mean, come on. <laughs> Can you blame her? Uh, Ed Burke had just been I, either been indicted or raided. I can't remember. Uh, but uh, one thing was uh, obvious is that we could not ignore his excesses any longer. But by and large, she uh, ran a positive campaign accentuating her, uh, what she brought to the table. This time around, of course, she's the incumbent mayor, and she's going after her incumbents one by one. And first, uh, she went after Jesus Chewy Garcia. Bam, 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 to knock him down with a series of assaults, <laughs> negative ads. It seems to have worked to a certain degree. Uh, I know I'm not supposed to believe any polls, and usually I don't believe any polls, and it's all propaganda. Uh, But I noticed that some of the polls, Chewy is down a little bit. And now she, of course, is turning her attention to Brandon Johnson, uh, the lefty in the race, uh, CTU's own Brandon Johnson, Chicago Teachers Union own Brandon Johnson. Uh, And she's assailing and assaulting him as a defunder. (laughs) Be scared. Be scared. Defunder. Who's going to tax you to death? Yeah, a tax alcoholic defunder. She sounds like Darren Bailey uh, in this uh, current segment of her, her phase of, of her, her political career, in this current phase of her political career, I should say. Uh, and um, the point, of course, uh, is that Brandon Johnson is rising in the polls, uh, that the latest polls that we've seen. So, of course, she has to knock him down. 
the whole point of this, the whole strategy of this uh, is that she wants to emerge uh, in uh, the runoff. She wants to be one of the surviving two candidates. Clearly, the strategy and the thought is that Paul Vallis uh, will be in the runoff. The polls show that. Uh, as I've said many times, he has the MAGA vote, which is 15 percent. And he's clearly winning over a lot of the North Side vote as well. Uh, so he'll probably get 25% if you believe the polls. That'll get him in the runoff. So what Lori Lightfoot is, is doing is to try to knock out the opposition like a mafia Don, to quote Steve James, Tony Soprano, uh, and then emerge. And then there will be the pirouette. It'll be really interesting. Uh, she will be in the runoff if her strategy succeeds up against Paul Vallis, at which point she will turn to all the lefties whose ideas she assailed and assaulted, all the supporters of Brandon Johnson, who she mocked and maligned, all the supporters of Jesus Chewy Garcia, who she's been ripping and saying, you got to vote for me. You have no choice. The alternative is the MAGA man. And you know what? This is straight 101 out of the Rahm Emanuel playbook. <laughs> you hate the lefties. You mock the le lefties. You use them to scare the centrists into voting for other centrists. And then you turn around and you tell the lefties, you have no choice. You have to vote for me. Otherwise, it's MAGA, man. <laughs> That's what she's doing, Steve James. I don't know, man. I'll tell you what. That, uh, well, listen, first things first, she's got to get to that runoff. Uh, but that's like, you, you know, you're asking a lot from lefties. I'm just saying. I think a lot of lefties will just sit out the election uh, rather uh, than vote for Lori Lightfoot or Paul Vallis. That's that's the danger she runs. Uh, and, um, you know, can she win without the lefty vote in Chicago? Can she beat the MAGA man without the lefty vote in Chicago? Well, I'm way ahead of myself. But that the, that's the game that she's playing right now. All right, without further ado, I'm going to bring on my distinguished guest, the enlightened journalist uh, who is – sitting back ready to go once a month dave goax from inside chicago government comes on this show uh we do a segment i don't even know if we have a name for it dave sometimes i call it one thing sometimes i call it another thing uh inside the chicago city council inside lewin davis is that what it, in a recent in a recent application we heard um we heard <laughs> it called sounds of city council sounds oh my god and that was also a song that Paul Simon wrote in the mid-60s. That yeah, was Paul Simon, the famous legislator? <laughs> no, Paul. No, Paul Simon, the famous singer. Uh, it was more appropriate for the legislator. My old friend, I've come to talk with you again. Don't act like you don't know that song. Don't act like Maybe you don't Maybe I don't recognize it because you're singing. <laughs> All right. Well, no, no more Paul Simon references. Either the, um, uh, the senator... Uh, and uh, Paul Simon from Illinois, or presidential candidate. I don't know if you remember that, Dave. He ran for president in 1988, uh, or the singer. Uh, so without further ado, I turn things over to Dave Kolatz for another segment of Sounds of the City Council. The February meeting of the Chicago City Council took place on February 1, and it lasted almost four hours. After public comment, which took place both in person and via teleconference, and after about two hours of resolutions honoring various folks, committee reports began about two hours in. Chris, please, will do blues first. 
the first committee report was from the Committee on Finance. Among the items the committee recommended for passage was a granting of tax increment financing to a certain project. We'll now hear Finance Chair Scott Wagspack describe it. Describe it. Item number 11 is a communication recommending a proposed ordinance regarding the authority to enter into and execute a redevelopment agreement with the American Blues Theater NFP and provision of tax increment financing assistance in the amount of $2.5 million for the construction of a theater facility at 5627 North Lincoln Avenue located in the 40th Ward. Unless someone wishes to speak on this item, I move passage by the first most favorable roll call vote of the Committee on Finance report, with the exception of Alderman Lopez, who wished to be recorded as voting no. With that exception noted, no further objections, so ordered. Item 12 consists of the authorization for the issuance of Chairman charitable Wages solicit- back. Chairman Wagesback, did you raise your hand, sir? Chair recognizes Alderman Lopez. I am reaffirming my opposition to this item, not because I believe that this is not a worthy or deserving project in the city's 40th ward, but as was noted in committee by a number of members, the issue of priority is something that I take exception to. Projects throughout Chicago seem to have a disproportionately unequal chance at getting TIF funds for reasons yet to be determined. We have spoken at length twice in the Committee on Finance with representatives from the Department of Planning and Development. And I want to thank Mr. Jeffries and Chairman Wagaspeck for getting me an answer from yesterday's exchange with regards to DPD's recommendations for the use of TIF funds. For the members, you should know that this was actually provided to you this morning with three criteria to address what was raised in committee, which was how our determinations made. The three categories that we were provided were a demonstration of need and feasibility, alignment with community plans, and alignment with city goals and priorities. While I accept this as an answer for today so that this project can move forward, as promised yesterday, there are issues that we still have to address with what exactly that means, particularly when we see projects throughout the city of Chicago that have been introduced or applied for years ago meet all of those requirements and yet are still languishing for a response, while others seem to zip right through and breakneck speed. This isn't just something that impacts my ward, but we've heard about several projects yesterday, and I'm sure if we looked at all of the applications, we would notice that their application dates and their approval dates are not consistent, are cherry-picked for winners and losers, by ward, and that is not something that is either equitable or equal. We must do better. I hope that my colleagues here today and on the Finance Committee in the future months will take this up with the Department of Planning and Development because the last thing any of us should have to report back to our communities are that projects that we have been working on that will put people to work, that will address housing, will address infrastructure, address investment, are no longer being played games with by individuals accountable to no one but the administration. Chair recognizes Alderman Vasquez. I want to thank Alderman Lopez, uh, as well as Alderwoman Harrison and others that during the Finance Committee raised up the very real and valid issue about what the process is like when certain projects are moving and certain ones aren't. I recognize that this one 
is for a, a group that was a theater group that began in the, uh, the 80s looking to establish its first place and doing the work necessary. So I, I appreciate the alderman also saying, you know, one project isn't the issue. It's about the lack of transparency and accountability in the process. And so I'm grateful for that conversation. And if any of our colleagues seek to work together on legislation to make it more transparent, make it more accountable, make sure people get reporting as to how things are moving and what the holdups are, I welcome it and look forward to working together because I think it's a conversation we have to have in the city when we talk about prerogative or other conversations. A couple things. This project, the one they're talking about funding, the American Blues Theater is in the Lincoln Avenue Tax Increment Financing or TIF District, which runs along Lincoln Avenue from Foster on the south to Devon on the north. Ben, guess when this TIF district expires? Uh, well, let's see. It probably expires uh, next year. Close. It's this year. Okay. The end of this year. <laughs> yeah. And so, so this uh, this is for two point five million dollars. Is this does this combination of factors suggest anything to you? Two point five yeah. million. Well, I mean, uh, it suggests to me that they got to get the money in before it expires. And maybe that's all that's left in there, and they just gotta, you know, eke it out, you know, squeeze out the last. Uh... <laughs> Make sure they get all the ketchup out of the bottle. <laughs> I don't know. I just, you know, I speculate it. Yeah. So well, you can work it up. I mean, if you wanted to uh, really take a deep dive into TIFFs, uh, you could look it up, uh, look up the Lincoln Avenue. I remember that TIFF. Oh, my goodness, every TIFF. From every TIF district to me has like <laughs> it brings back memory of old. That was that was a Patrick that is how you associated with each one too. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> sounds of silence. Uh, I think would pretty much because uh, usually there's silence as to how the rhyme or the reason uh, to anything. But anyway, Patrick O'Connor, I remember uh, the former alderman of the 40th ward. Uh, this was sort of his TIF district. Go ahead. Second thing is Alderman Alderman Lopez implied that when the Department of Planning and Development receives applications for tax increment financing, it produces no publicly available documentation for how it evaluates whether to move the project along to the subsequent approval steps. For example, does DPD have a checklist that they go through? Do they have a staff report? Do they have meeting minutes? Over the years, I've found none of these things to show what is the transparency, what is the documentation that the public could access to kind of answer Lopez's question. All right. Uh, Do you want me to address this issue right now? Because I could go on. Uh, So tax increment finding the TIF uh, plan, the TIF program in the city of Chicago, there is so much wrong with it. Absolutely. Uh, and this particular issue that uh, uh, Raymond Lopez, uh, Raylo, is raising, it's just one of the many things that's wrong with it. I would argue that in the inequity of the program uh, is at the top of the list, uh, and also the the impact it has on our tax bills. Uh, those would be the two things I would put at the top of the list. But he's getting the issue of transparency. Uh, and um, the whole point of the program is... Uh, which, which was created essentially in the 90s by the Daly administration uh, with Paul Vallis, I want to say, uh, at the Revenue Department. So we had a hand at this. The whole point of this uh, program uh, is to take a perfectly reasonable method of financing a risky business venture in a blighted neighborhood 
and turning it into a ceaseless source of slush, which the mayor controls. So if you want a ceaseless source of slush, you have to do a couple of things. One, you have to conceal the fact that it raises taxes on people because they might object to paying more in taxes to fund the mayor's slush fund. Uh, and two, you want to keep away from people uh, any of the details about how the slush is made, if you will, or how it's getting distributed. Uh, and this is finally what Raylo is getting to. And I better late than never, Raylo. I always welcome you to uh, the conversation. And so uh, you're, there was a point, uh, Dave, at some point when I was really writing tip story after tip story, that the planning department, I believe it was at the end of the daily years, would put a, a plan report on its website uh, for the, um, the Community Development Commission. So at every Community Development Commission meeting, follow me in this, ladies and gentlemen, that's a mayoral appointed body that oversees, gives a recommendation on uh, TIF requests. Either the it, creation it, is, of it is one of the approval steps for any, any yeah. TIF district. Right. So let me just finish this. So they approve, uh, they give a, uh, a recommendation, their advisory group, essentially, uh, for any TIF district or any project. And uh, at, at one point, they were uh, at, okay, at every community development commission meeting, a representative of the plan, planning department stands up and reads a report. Uh, and the report essentially says, we absolutely positively need uh, this TIF deal or this TIF district. Uh, this is why I wouldn't get, this project wouldn't get funded without it. Please approve this. Uh, and then, and then it will have like the address of the project or the address of the TIF district, et cetera, and so forth. For a while, Dave, for a while, <laughs> they were putting those reports on their website. Now, I noticed they stopped doing that. I, I'm not sure why, but somewhere along the line, they just stopped doing that. So Raylo is absolutely correct. And by the way, it was a wholly inadequate report anyway. It didn't, it wasn't like an objective analysis of the request but it it, and also also it did not time. address specifically what we're talking about which is what process did the department of planning development go through to decide to advance a particular project within the tiff district yes those those staff reports which are actually available uh if you look if you if you burrow down if you uh uh, if you know where to look on uh, the um, Community Development Commission web pages, you can find the staff reports. But those are after, those are produced after the approval. But we don't know, like I said before, we don't know what is involved in the approval. There's no documentation of that. The staff reports are essentially saying, here's, here's why this is good. But it didn't like we don't see anything about the ones that they reject. Here's why this one is bad, or these were some of the things that we weighed. Like it's one to ten on this scale. It's it's or it's it's five on a one to ten scale in this particular criterion, and it's seven. You know what I'm saying? Well, this and this gets at a, another flaw with the TIF program, and they, it's kind of related. It's a cousin of the inequity. So if if that report was to do what you just uh, said and what uh, Raylo wants it to do uh, and explain why the, the TIF award for the 40th ward uh, is getting pushed ahead of some TIF 
proposal from the 15th ward, which is on the uh, south side, or the 9th ward, or any other ward, uh, that would get at the heart of the inequity. And then you would have to start asking questions about, well, how how is this fair that, like, for instance, Lincoln Yards is the beneficiary of a $1.3 billion TIF district for one ward. It used to be in the second ward. Now they moved it out of the second ward, but whatever. One area on the north side, whereas like many wards on the south and west sides don't get the same amount. So what, what he's talking about is getting is sort of inching toward the inequity issue. And the city cannot have a conversation about that without acknowledging that this is a very unfair program. This is no way even remote. If you say that this is our chief economic development program for the entire city of Chicago, then you have to justify why it is that Brian Hopkins ward got $1.3 billion and Raymond Lopez's ward, which probably needs the tip dollars much more than Brian Hopkins gets, well, I don't know, less than a million. If only yeah. uh, Raymond Lopez, yeah. if only Raymond Lopez had continued his run for mayor, then it might have been, you know. Well, I, and I like to point out, I'm pretty sure Raymond voted for the Lincoln Yards deal. So, in other words, we're, he he's a relatively recent convert. And I welcome his conversion, but this has been a problem with the TIF program since the '90s, when uh, they the law was changed in the '90s, allowing essentially all neighborhoods in Chicago. Uh, to use the the TIF to finance projects in those wards. So if you allow TIF, the TIF program to go into a gentrifying area, they will always get more money than a non-gentrifying area because that's how the program works. The flaw is embedded in the program. Uh, and so Raylo is actually inching toward a discussion about this, and you notice he was the sole no vote. Is that correct? <laughs> he was the that sole no vote in this project. That is correct. So he, it's really inching. Nobody else wants to go anywhere near it. Maybe micron is a better word than inch. Yeah, <laughs> but I give you credit, Raymond Lopez. Those are great questions, and uh, yeah, the more the one that more should be asking. And by the way, Ben, did you notice the Tribune a couple of weeks ago? With the last couple of weeks, oh, you canceled your subscription. Might have not have seen this. Uh, reported that or acknowledged that uh, a TIF district raises the taxes for all property owners in the district. Uh, I did not see that. I still get the tribute online, but I don't longer get the uh, uh, paper delivered. Uh, my house. Who said that, that to you? I don't uh, recall. But I'll send it you don't recall? Well, that, wow. Oh my God. Hold on. <laughs> sit down. It's only, I'm 40 years into this program. You are sitting down. <laughs> It's unbelievable. Whoa, what an acknowledgement. It's a See, tax hike for the tribute. You should have canceled the, the print paper. Uh, I don't know, man. It was it was it was psychologically difficult for me to get that newspaper. I'm sorry, man. But what else are you missing? That's what I want to know. Oh no, I uh I still read the yeah, yeah. every day. Online. I'm a millennial on. now. I'm a millennial, <laughs> finally. As I head into my later years, I, I'm a millennial. <laughs> By osmosis. Yeah. Chris, please, we'll do train next. It's a little bit of setup here. After all the committee reports at the February 1 meeting, the mayor usually asks if there's any old business. And at this meeting, there was, which we'll hear about in the next piece. First, some background. Norfolk Southern Railway, which I'm going to call Norfolk for short 
has a rail yard in Englewood in the 20th Ward, and they call it the 47th Street Intermodal Facility. In 2008, Norfolk started on its own to buy homes in areas so it could expand the rail yard. In 2013, the Rahm Emanuel administration sold city land to Norfolk for about $1.1 million, so Norfolk could expand further. That deal, what people now call a redevelopment agreement, or RDA, also gave Norfolk the ability to shut down streets and alleys running through land the company owns in several phases. That led to Norfolk using, Norfolk using eminent domain to force Englewood residents to sell their homes. Fast forward to last summer, when the Lightfoot administration sponsored an ordinance, record number 02022-2395, that would let Norfolk seize some more streets and alleys running through the area. That ordinance, ran, that ordinance ran into a brick wall set up by 20th Ward Alderman Jeanette Taylor. Alderman Taylor has essentially paused passage of that ordinance since the Lightfoot administration introduced it, as she worked to extract community benefits from Norfolk. So at the February 1 city council meeting, um, every interested party, including me, were waiting to see if Taylor would still keep a hold on Norfolk's expansion, or she would concede that she, concede that she got what she wanted. This, this piece starts with 7th Ward Alderman Greg Mitchell. Let's listen. Madam President, I'm aware of one piece of unfinished business. It was filed by Alderman Brookins and calls for a vote on 02022-2395, which was deferred and published on January 18, 2023. The chair recognizes Alderman Brookins. With respect to this matter, I'd like to pause and allow uh, Alderman Taylor to speak on it. Chair recognizes Alderman Taylor. First and foremost, I wanted to say thank you to Inglewood United and Build and Team Inglewood for their support and understanding to this issue. Norfolk Southern is a $59.7 billion company, and an agreement was signed back in 2014 when I and a bunch of my coworkers weren't here. But the thought that Norfolk Sutherland, who got rich off the blacks of slaves, won't even commit to giving this community the little things that they're asking for. And so I've been in office since 2019, and not one time did they come to talk to me about this RDA that A, I did not sign, and B, that I did not agree to. Instead of Norfolk Sutherland working directly with me, they talked to the majority of my coworkers and tried to organize around me. So you're attacking somebody who is paid to represent the people in your community. What does that say about Norfolk Sutherland? What does that say about us as a council? They could afford to put gates around their property. They could afford to fix the streets. They could afford to do beautification. And the thought that it's not in the RDA is not on the people in our community. It's on them. There is nowhere in the world they are set up in the middle of a black and brown community and they do the bare minimum. And I'm almost ashamed and embarrassed that somebody would sign off on some crap and did not do any follow through because they did not make sure people got jobs in the community. They did not make sure they were going to do hiring fairs. They did not make sure that the black folks from that community get that contract. What does that say about us? But we'll celebrate black history, huh? And all the women, all due respect, what you feeling? Black people been feeling for years. And so now it's join the club. We got jackets. I am tired 
of sitting in a space where I'm ignored and not listened to just because of the color of my skin. And I don't care how many flags y'all put up in here, I don't care how many colors y'all change on the book, that still does not give y'all the right to overrun the people in the community. Now, I ain't start this fight, but I'm good at finishing them. And so Norfolk Sutherland and the city have agreed to the terms that the community are asking, and that's all I was asking for. I want to thank the Black Caucus, and members of the Latino caucus for standing with me, because sometimes it's easier to take the check and look away. And so I thank the people who've stood with me and this community to say enough is enough. And so I'm asking y'all today, I, will, I am gonna vote yes. And I'm only voting yes, because somebody made me keep my word, and I promised this community that I will fight for it and stand up for it. And they're okay with it, so I'm okay with it. Thank you, Madam Chair. Chairman Brookins. Thank you, uh, Madam President. Uh, Madam President, I want to commend my colleague and uh, my member, uh, Jeanette Taylor, for a tireless advocacy with respect to this. This is a great project, a, a much-needed project for the vitality of the city of Chicago in getting train traffic in and out and around our city. Ben, before I get your reaction, I'll just say that I asked Alderman Taylor before the meeting what she specifically wanted from Norfolk before agreeing to the ordinance. And you heard her name some of them. She talked about uh, beautification of the streets around uh, the massive uh, deconstruction that's gone around in there. She also wants, um, she, she talked about a certain percentage of community residents to be hired, commitment to that. And she also talked to me about that she wants stakeholders, residents in the area going forward to be listened to and responded to by Norfolk. And she said if she got that stuff in written form, then she would agree. And as far as I can tell, if she had got that stuff in written form, she hasn't released it, which is interesting. Well, it's um, uh, that clip that you played, it just gets at the heart. Now, we're, it, 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 we're this is like related to what we just got finished talking about with uh, how TIF money is distributed and how the TIF program is distributed. So this gets into a discussion of how just in general, city and developers and private investors view the city, meaning the government, the city of Chicago government, view Chicago, uh, the potential of Chicago neighborhoods. Uh, and so I, I wrote some articles about this project way back when. I don't know if we probably talked about them in our old podcast. So I'm a little familiar with this project. Uh, from the get-go, uh, there has been uh, arrogance on the part of Norfolk in terms of the people in the area and what they have to do uh, to be a good neighbor to the people who are there. Uh, and there has been a certain callousness and indifference. Uh, and this is just classic Chicago behavior. There, the South Side, black neighborhoods are treated differently than white neighborhoods. And I've seen this so many times, Dave, in my all my years in the city of Chicago. Projects on the North Side have, it's just the rhetoric is different. Uh, the, the amount of accommodations are different. The sense of entitlement in the people in the audience is different. I'm not putting down the North Siders for having a sense of entitlement. I mean, even just thinking of it as entitlement is kind of a derogatory in a weird way, but, you know, as opposed to rights that they should have, uh, but it's just, it's just a whole different game. And I remember when uh, having a conversation, I don't know whether it was you or somebody else, 
uh, not too long ago, I was talking again about the Lincoln Yards project. To make the Lincoln Yards project possible, the Northside gentrification deal uh, that I've been talking about a lot in this show, they had to move that um, streets and sanitation uh, garbage truck facility out of the area so that they could clear up the area for development. It was also the, uh, the the motor vehicle repair facility for yeah. the entire fleet of the city. It was a, a huge fleet. place. Yeah, it was a huge motor fleet. Yes, exactly right. They moved it to the south side. Uh, and it was just, it was during the Rahm Emanuel years. And just the attitude about how the south side and the north side was reflected. And they were like, well, this is great development for the the south side. Unbelievable. Good news for the south side. We're going to move all these garbage trucks to a south side community and it's just going to be wonderful to economic development ignoring the fact that they were removing them so they could spend 1.3 billion dollars building up this mega community of like upscale development which has been slow to take off for many reasons but just the attitude of the city like garbage trucks for the south side upscale development for the north side uh and i what Jeanette Taylor is, is talking about is so true. You can't go into a community where people have a sense of entitlement, a sense that they're in charge of the city and just say, oh, we're going to put a rail yard facility here. We're going to expand one and we're not going to put fences up, you know, or uh, to muffle the sounds to uh, we're not going to put uh, trees up to so like to, so, to protect you from just looking at what a freight yard you're for the rest of your life uh and so you know i applaud her for standing up for it uh dave it's going to take a long long time i think for chicago to sort of shed these biases uh toward the south side and the north side white communities and black i don't know if i'll live long enough dave uh, to see chicago uh actually shed those biases um Maybe you will. You're a younger man than I am. Well, you know, we might see something, some movement this year, depending on who gets elected to the city council this coming, you know, this in this election cycle that we're in right now. Taylor talked about the fact that, well, it was from her perspective, the administration and Norfolk were going around her to other aldermen to advance this ordinance that vacates streets and alleys. And she was able to hold firm because, as she mentioned in her remarks, she was able to get a, enough of her peers to stand with her to, 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 to slow walk this thing. So the kind of shift that you're talking about, you know, that happens on a larger scale. If more city council members are of the ilk of Taylor, then I submit that things might happen more quickly than you might expect. Yeah, and by the way, this what you just said was a ringing endorsement for Alderman and Prerogative. We will, I will forego the conversation. We've had that many times, uh, but I, I, I love, I'm going to keep that one there. Dave Glowatz with a ringing endorsement of Alderman and Prerogative, although he didn't use those words. Uh, but that's exactly to the point. Someone's got to stand up for a community, and it's pretty much your best bet. The person who is going to be facing the voters. I would be speaking loudest and clearer. So I believe in automated prerogative, and I'm glad that Jeanette Taylor was able to bring uh, allies from other aldermen and alderwomen uh, to her side. 
look out for the best interest of her constituents. Chris, please, we'll do both next. Well, at most city council meetings, after public comment and honorary resolutions, but before committee reports, the city clerk generally reads ordinances being introduced that day by the administration, usually with the mayor named as a sponsor. We're gonna hear such an introduction at the February 1 meeting. Then secondly, we'll fast forward to a time near the end of the meeting when an ordinance setting the date and time of the next city council meeting is revealed. This piece, this piece starts with city clerk Anna Valencia. Let's listen. Ladies and gentlemen, at the request of the Commissioner of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, I transmit here with the 2023 Annual Special Events Ordinance. For favorable consideration, the ordinance will be appreciated. Very truly yours, Laurie Lightford, Mayor, for the Committee on Special Events, Cultural Affairs, and Recreation. Ladies and gentlemen, at the request of the Commissioner of Assets, Information, and Services, I transmit here with an ordinance authorizing the execution of a franchise agreement and energy equity agreement with Commonwealth Edison Company. Two committees being called. It will go to rolls. The date and time of the next meeting, Madam Clerk. The next regular meeting of the City Council of City of Chicago shall be held on Tuesday, February 7, 2023, beginning at 1.30 p.m. in the Council Chamber on Second Floor, City Hall, Tuesday, February 7, 1.30 p.m. Hold on one second. The Chair recognizes Madam President, Madam President, motion that we lay on the table, the motion for February 7th meeting. There's a motion to lay on the table that we come back for the next City Council meeting on February 7th at 1.30. People are clear. A yes vote is to not return on February 7th. Alderman Lopez, please, if you give me the courtesy of finishing so that I could clarify for the body the motion that Alderman Beale has put on the table. Can you, is that all right? Can you do that, sir? I understand, but let me finish, sir. There is a motion to lay on the table the ordinance that would set the date and time of the next city council meeting as February 7th at 1.30. A yes vote is to not come back on February 7th to attend to an item of unfinished business. A no vote is to come back on February 7th at 1.30. There's been a call for a roll call vote. Madam Clerk, can you just open up the electronic voting? The chair recognizes Alderman Osterman. I think uh, I speak for all my colleagues. I think if there's a reason for us to come back, I think it would be important for us to know before we vote on this why we would be coming back. I think if there's an urgent matter before this body, all of us are willing to come back on a moment's notice as we always shown, but if there is a reason for us to come back, I think for us to take an informed vote on this motion, I think people should be told clearly by yourself or someone else why the need to come back. There is a matter of unfinished business that was sent to the Rules Committee that needs to be advanced, and that is the consideration by this body of the ComEd franchise agreement that promises to provide the city over the life of its terms $120 million. Let me go to Alderman Lopez first and then to Alderman Vasquez. Thank you, Madam President. As a point of information, Alderman Mitchell stated there's no unfinished business before this body. This is new business. So that is incorrect. What I is the unfinished I, business? I clarify it, was, it would be new business. No, that was you said it was unfinished a, business. An item that was referred to the Rules Committee. Alderman Vasquez. So the reason we want to have another means to expedite the combat agreement, is that what we're saying? The reason is to make sure that the agreement that is time sensitive comes before the body for consideration. That's correct, sir. Yeah, I, I think I, I agree with Harry and other folks that we, we don't know about the time sensitivity. We don't have a lot of answers at all. But if, if members want to vote on speeding that up, they're feel free to. And just as a clarification, sir, it's not speeding it up. It's putting it forth before the body 
for consideration, Alderman Vasquez, because if it's not before the body, as you well know, since you sent it to rules, it can't be considered. It could be considered later, It could right? be considered at any time. Right, so we don't have to speed it. The chair recognizes Alderman Irvin. If you withdraw your objection to it just going to committee to be heard, then there's no need to come back. I think that's the, that's the point of the conversation. So it's my understanding and my belief that we, we can't have a conversation about it until it gets to committee. And right now it's in rules, which is not where it should be heard. It should be heard in the committee, but the two committees that it, the joint committee was brought about to. So again, I guess the ball really is in your court. If you want us to come back on Tuesday to re-refer it out of committee, then we come back. Otherwise, if you pull your referral out, it just goes to committee on a regular basis. It's coming one way or the other. It's how you want it. Anything, we need to be holding off until after elections for this conversation, so I'm happy holding it as long as we need to and not speeding it up. The chair recognizes all the women Garza. Yesterday I had a briefing on this that lasted about 20 minutes. None of my questions were answered. It was rushed. I don't know who worked on this or if any one of us had an input on this. I know I didn't. This is a huge deal for the city of Chicago. I think we deserve more time to hash through this, whatever, 80 pages of documents to look at this and to learn what we're doing. The taxpayers deserve us to look at this thing. And none of us, I, I've talked to a bunch of people, does anybody in here feel comfortable with what's in here? We just got this today. This is a huge deal. And I don't want to make sure that I'm not voting on something that's parking meters or the Skyway Bridge. You're 100% right. This body absolutely needs to look at every page, understand everything that's in it, so that you feel comfortable when you cast your vote. But formally, the process to initiate that consideration is to have it introduced into committee. Just to make sure everybody's clear, because I heard a lot of conversation and consternation. We enter in things into the record so that the body can then consider it at whatever pace the body feels is appropriate. That cannot be done if we're playing parliamentary games. And we need to get this before a joint committee, which is what I, we heard feedback from the briefings, so that the entirety of the agreement can be considered in a timely and appropriate fashion. As you well know, the filing isn't the voting. Just to uh, give a little synopsis there. <laughs> what a city. Uh. We heard at the outset, we heard City Clerk Anna Valencia introduce this ordinance that they're debating, which for the record is 02023-1050. And even before she could name the committee to which it would be assigned, someone, apparently 40th Alderman Andre Vasquez, called out environment, meaning that's the committee to which he wanted it assigned. Evidently, the administration had wanted to go before a joint committee of an environment and finance, so it got shunted to the rules committee. Ben, why is this controversial? Oh my goodness, where do we start? <laughs> uh, so it's the, it's the Commonwealth Edison Franchise Agreement. Do you wanna weigh in a little bit oh, on yeah. why? These people are, some of these people are concerned that it, they have yeah. a meeting like just six days later. Yeah. And let me, um, uh, folks, if you want to hear a deeper dive, uh, I did a deeper dive with Matt Martin, Alderman Matt Martin of the 47th Ward about this event about a week ago. Um, but essentially, this is a proposal that was negotiated by Lori Lightfoot's administration with Commonwealth Edison that would extend uh, their control over electricity in the city of Chicago for I forget how many years. Uh, it's a lengthy, complicated document uh, that needs time to be read 
and understood. And that second part is really important. Uh, people say, oh, I haven't had a chance to read the document. I guarantee you that most people in the city of Chicago trying to read a, um, uh, what, a, a legal document would be, to put it mildly, very confused by it. So even just the notion of reading it, it's not like going to read, a, a, you know, a Raymond Chandler uh, mystery before you go to bed, a Raymond Chandler detective story, which is clearly written <laughs> so that, like, you could understand it. No, it's a complicated, convoluted uh, document that uh, uses legal language that normal human beings don't understand. Lawyers argue over each word. In the, so even lawyers can't agree on what the language means. All right. So, yes, you need time to read it, absorb it, ask questions, analyze it, figure out what it's going to do to rates, figure out uh, whether we want to get an agreement with Commonwealth Edison. By the way, this has nothing to do with the language, but Commonwealth Edison in the middle of a um, at the heart of a, a federal uh, uh, corruption case against Michael Joseph Madigan. So I don't know. Do we want to. Is this a good time to be cutting deals with Commonwealth Edison? Lots of questions, lots of issues, lots of debates. February 28th is are the aldermanic elections. So it's like, hmm, maybe something this important that will last for this long should be considered by the city council that's in place when the consequences are felt. So these are just some of the issues like that the alderman must confront and the mayor wants obviously them to approve the deal fast so that she can use it in her campaigns. Although I'm not even sure, not knowing the details of the, of the contract, if she would want to take credit for it, you know what I'm saying? It'd be like mayor Daly taking credit for the parking meter deal, uh, which I think he probably did at some point anyway, cause they were like divvying out the money. Um, yeah, with so, a billion yeah. when the billion dollars came over the transom, yeah, I guess with the billion to... dollars. Oh my God, over that Chicago, a billion. That's that's all they wanted you guys to think. Forget about the details. A billion. Oh, my Chicago, and I'm impressed. That's a lot of money. I've never seen a billion dollars. <laughs> never seen a billion dollars. Yeah, and you never saw the ten billion, which is what it's worth. <laughs> and you're I, never going to see that money. That's going to the investors. So, so yeah, what, what, what happened here is that at the very beginning, yeah, the administration was expecting that. Once it the just from the from a tactical standpoint here, what happens when the clerk introduces the ordinance, then that means that at the next meeting of the council, I'm sorry, the committee to which it is referred, then that committee could take it up. And then if the committee approves it, then it then approved at the next full city council meeting. Well, by by shunting it to rules, Vasquez, evidently added an extra step. So that's and so what must have happened in between the beginning of the meeting at this end of the meeting is that the administration huddled and found that, you know, all right, let's see if we can't move this along by scheduling, you know, a, another meeting really quickly, the whole full city council meeting, so we can approve rules discharging it and then move it along to the next committee, if that makes sense. Yeah. But but they uh, they had to, they had to figure that out, that out during the course of the meeting so they could at the end announce a next meeting date that clearly many people did not expect. Yeah, and uh, I, I really think it's a bad idea uh, to do this in a lame duck session. Uh, I believe that at this stage, uh, you're asking the ne the city council 
to make a very important vote uh, on a contract that affects everybody. I'm just repeating what Sue Garza said, uh, that affects everybody in the city of Chicago. And uh, you should give them the time to have a, a robust debate, pros and cons, uh, questions answered, uh, articles written in the newspaper by people on both sides. And uh, so, and then the aldermen, you know, can make, or aldermen can make a meaningful a vote. Um, yeah, Senator Mitch McConnell would, would say, why rush? You know, uh, let's hold the nomination for a Supreme Court justice until, you know, yeah. the new people are elected. Uh, yeah, joke. Mitch McConnell. They, they can get joke. No, I know, I know. Uh, I actually uh, made a similar joke uh, a while ago about this, uh, uh, comparing this to uh, this. Uh, who was it? The Supreme Court justice they rushed around blank. Oh, Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, but uh, absolutely, at a certain point, you just hold off with huge Commonwealth Edison agreements, and I also believe with Supreme Court uh, nominees. Uh, so, uh, so you and McConnell are together on that. Well, depends which Mitch McConnell you're talking about. Are you talking about the Mitch McConnell who called off uh, the uh, Merrick Garland appointment? Yes. Um, about nine months before an election? Uh, or are you talking about the Mitch McConnell who rushed through Amy Coney Barrett uh, like less than a month before the election? You got to tell me which Mitch the McConnell former, you're talking about. The former uh, one. Yeah. Actually, I... I I think nine months would be enough time to analyze uh, a Commonwealth Edison agreement. So I, I would, I think you could have dealt with if if they come up with this. Uh, what was what's nine months ago? You're better at math than I am. Uh, We're in they, the month number two, so that would be seven. That would be last May. Yeah, I think well, I could have handled that. <laughs> I think okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Ben, that's all I've got. Listeners, Ben and I listen to a couple more audio pieces from the February 1 City Council meeting, and we talked about those. And if you'd like to hear the rest of our conversation, please go to the extended version of this interview found at the Inside Chicago Government website, which is chigov.com. There, go to the Chicago menu and choose City Council. Ben, thanks for hosting me, and thanks to Chris for the uh, the greasing of the electrons. Yes, uh, uh, the way he greases those electrons. Thank you very much, uh, Dave Glowatz. And thank you very much, producer Chris. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. And remember, you can catch previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more at chicagoreader.com and all of your favorite podcast platforms. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.